Okay, good morning everyone. Well, it's great to be with you today and I am going to be talking, preaching, teaching, sharing a message entitled Last Words 3. So this is the third in our series. We've just been looking at some of 2 Timothy, a couple of pericopes and 2 Timothy. And I want to encourage you to listen to the previous messages um, that, are, that we've done, that we've, we've looked at, as they paint a vivid picture of the context within which we find this portion of scripture that we're going to be studying today. And um, just to recap briefly, Timothy, 2 Timothy, which is where we find ourselves today, 2 Timothy was a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy. And as we discussed previously, Paul was writing from terrible conditions in prison. And it was cold. He was alone, pretty much alone, except for Luke. Um, he was bound in chains. He was awaiting certain death. And Paul really wanted to see Timothy and Mark. Um, he says that everyone else had left him. And he requested that they visit him and come quickly and bring some of his personal belongings, personal effects with. So that is 2 Timothy. Um, but it's interesting as we look at 2 Timothy, and I mentioned this before, that um, yes, he was concerned with his own personal needs, but really Paul was concerned for his son Timothy. He was concerned with the church in Ephesus, which was where Timothy was based. He'd left Timothy in charge overseeing the church in Ephesus, and Timothy was ch facing challenges in the church, and he wanted to encourage and strengthen and give his son some instruction regarding uh, continuing and persevering in the face of difficulties within that context. And although Paul hoped to see Timothy soon, um, 2 Timothy really is written as though he was not going to see Timothy again before uh, being martyred. And in actual fact, he didn't see Timothy again. Um, so in this way, it was his last recorded will, testament, words, instructions for his spiritual son. And it was important to him that he convey this message. And even so, we can read it and understand that it is important for us today. So this, the portion of scripture that we are continuing our study in today is 2 Timothy 3, verse 10 to 17. And this uh, pericope uh, was really encouraging, um, instructing Timothy to persevere in the face of opposition and giving him some instructions, some encouragement regarding this. And Paul gave Timothy two sources of strength and wisdom in this per, uh, pericope. Um, he gave Timothy two sources of strength and wisdom to persevere in the face of such opposition and challenges. And last time we looked at the first source of strength and wisdom, which is found in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10 to 13. Um, and today we're going to look at the second source of strength and wisdom for Timothy, which is 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 17. And if you remember, um, we discussed how how Paul had concluded the previous pericope speaking concerning the folly of false teachers. And he begins this complete pericope or portion of scripture. So that's verse 10 to 17. He begins it um, 
addressing Timothy as separate from these false teachers. And he says, but you, in verse 10, but you, Timothy, as opposed to these false teachers, but you. And then, and then he gives the first source of strength and wisdom to Timothy. And the second time, again, in verse 14, he says, but you, Timothy, um, again, giving him another source of strength and wisdom as compared. He's comparing Timothy to these false teachers in the previous pericope and um, so we are picking up from verse 14 that's the second source of strength and wisdom for Timothy um, so Timothy begins this thought reminding Timothy concerning his grandmother and his mother who'd been faithful to instruct him regarding the scriptures and salvation from a young age that is in verse 14, and he finishes this thought by highlighting a few, key, a few key aspects of scripture, namely that it originates from God himself, that it can be used for the establishment of doctrine, and that God uses it to fashion and equip us, his people, for the work that they are called to. So that is a brief overview of the particular portion that we're looking at today, and I'm going to read it um, I'm going to pick up the reading from verse 13, actually. It says, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so as we start looking at this portion of scripture, it's important to note how Paul states clearly that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse and that deception will increase. And it's important to note that he was actually speaking of context within the church. He wasn't speaking of context outside the church. Within the church, he says that evil men and imposters and deception will increase. So it's critical that we understand this, that we're not taken by surprise or disillusioned when we see this happening around us. And when we fully grasp the seriousness of this and realize the frailty of our own flesh, realize that none of us are above deception. Um, it's at that point, I think, that we will really dig our roots very deep in his word to protect ourselves because his word really is the only protection. His word is the only anchor in this regard. And, and this is what Paul is talking to Timothy about. He wants Timothy to really be rooted and planted and grounded in his word. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to look at five, five things that uh, Paul wanted Timothy to take note of in this portion of scripture that we're studying today. And so number one, the first thing that Paul wanted Timothy um, to be cognizant of was Timothy should continue in what he has learned. This is in verse 14a, in 2 Timothy 3 verse 14a, it says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Continue, continue. So we don't grow weary doing good, but we continue, we continue um, in, the, in, in what we have learned. 
in 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, it says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have learned from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hold fast, hold fast, keep holding on to, keep standing, keep believing. 1 Timothy 4 verse 16, Paul says to Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So we continue, we are to continue in sound doctrine. In Titus 2 verse 1, Paul instructs his spiritual son Titus and he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Must continue in sound doctrine. Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. In Titus 1 verse 7 to 8, Paul says to Titus, For a bishop must be blameless, a lover of what is good, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And that is God's desire for us, that we may be able to stand and keep standing and keep holding fast to sound doctrine, remembering what we have been taught and also able to exhort and to convict those who contradict. You see, we need to be able to explain what we believe and why we believe it and what we don't believe and why we don't believe it from a biblical perspective. We need to be able to listen to preachers, to songs, read books. Um, we need to be able to take in information, but at the same time be able to eat the meat and spit out the bones, be able to say, no, I disagree with this because of X, Y, and Z, not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And the only way we can do that is if we continue in that which we have been taught. We continue in sound doctrine. You see, in the church today, and it's not limited to just in our current context, but we see it in our current context that there's a hunger for fresh revelation. And it's especially amongst more charismatic and Pentecostal circles. There's a hunger for the latest revelation, for the latest, freshest revelation. And there's nothing wrong. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a hunger for revelation. That is awesome. May God increase our appetite for revelation of and from Him and from His Word. However, when we seek after fresh and novel revelations without having a solid grounding in the word and when our ears are continually looking for something new and fresh to tickle them and it's not founded upon sound doctrine or it comes in with a bit of do sound doctrine but a bit of but a bit a bit of error you see when it's not rooted in the whole complete counsel of god we run the risk of deception and error and it only takes a little bit of deception and error and then we continue and continue along that path and we end up very far from the original intent of what God wanted for us. It's like the rays when they leave the sun, they may be almost parallel, but by the time they meet earth, one can hit earth and one can completely miss earth because it's gone, taken it to its nth uh, it's like taking an idea to its nth degree. It might, it might start off just slightly off center, but by the time it reaches its conclusion, it's very far from the original um, ray or the original intent. So we need to take heed of our doctrine, take heed of what we feed ourselves, of what we take in. We need to measure it by the word of God and by the whole counsel of God 
all the time. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 to 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Okay, for the time will come when this will happen. Are you convinced that you are fully grounded in the various foundational doctrines in Scripture of you and, and of your faith? Are you able to articulate and explain what you believe and why from a biblical perspective? Are you able to listen to preaching, to listen to songs, to sing worship songs, to watch certain things, to take in certain teachings and, and ideas and be able to eat the meat and spit out the bones, so to speak? You know, we can't be moved by melodies and moved by passion and moved by all these things and not carefully weigh the words of what is actually being, the message of what is actually being conveyed. It's important. Uh, Hebrews 6 verse 1 to 3 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. And this we will do if, uh, if God permits. So the going on to maturity always builds upon the solid grounding and foundational principles. So we must have that foundation, that those foundations we must. We can build without foundations, but the problem is that building is going to topple down at some point if we don't have solid foundations. So it's really important that we, that we keep our foundations, that we check our foundations, that we don't despise the foundational principles. And as we go on to maturity, I believe we should endeavor to keep in mind certain basic principles, especially around the study of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to study the Word of God for yourself. It's the Word of God and the complete counsel of the Word of God that will protect us from deception, that will keep Keep us. That is what ensures that we have solid foundations. And I'm wanting to share a particular principle with us today so that as we go off into the holiday season, we are, are study and, and even beyond that, we make sure that we're studying the Word of God for ourselves. I want to encourage us to not have a spiritual diet of fast food where we flip open our Bible and we just read whatever happens to be there and we close it again. We flip open our Bible just to read quickly a few verses from Psalms or a few verses from Proverbs because we think we don't have the time to study any deeper. Or our study of the Bible primarily consists of listening to other people teaching what they've studied. There's nothing wrong with that, but we we also need to grow up to maturity and be able to study the word for ourselves. And a particular principle that I'm wanting to draw our attention to today is um, what Dr. Christopher Pepler alludes to when he describes the use of the Christocentric pr principle, um, especially as it concerns hermeneutics, Bible study, interpretation of scripture. So basically what this is about is it's about uh, interpreting whatever we read from the Word of God from 
the perspective of Jesus Christ, from the perspective of the life, the teaching, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus must be the locus of doctrinal formation and proclamation. Okay, It must be the center. All scripture should be interpreted primarily from the perspective of either Jesus' character, his values, his principles, his priorities, as revealed directly or indirectly by the biblical revelation of what he said and what he did. You see, the Christocentric principle is an approach to Bible interpretation that seeks to understand all parts of Scripture from a Jesus perspective. In other words, it's a way of interpreting Scripture primarily from the perspective of what Jesus taught and modeled and from what he revealed concerning the nature, character, values, principles, priorities of the Godhead. And the reason that this can be done is that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. That is what it says in Hebrews 1 verse 3. So we know God's nature by considering the words and works of the Lord Jesus as recorded in the New Testament. And so I'm wanting to encourage us to, as we approach the Bible to bear this in mind. So that means that what Jesus said and did from Matthew to John really is the, is the, is the center of how we're going to read the Bible. The Old Testament explains, and this is a very simplistic overview, but the Old Testament explains why Jesus said or did it. And from Acts to Revelation and the New Testament, it's it's an, uh, it shows us how the apostles interpreted and applied it. And I love what Dr. Kevin Smith adds to this in terms of, he just says in some instances and to some extent, the rest of the canon needs to inform this particular principle, the Christocentric principle, just as the Christocentric principle guides the interpretation of the rest of the canon. So what he's saying is that to some extent, we need to extract our portrait of Jesus also from the New Testament and not just from the Gospels, as they were eyewitnesses and first-hand recipients of revelation. Um, and even the apostles interpreting and applying the life of Christ in the church, we see that in the rest of the New Testament. And this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, all the New Testament writings are overtly Christocentric in this particular regard, as they are based on first-hand apostolic interpretation of Christ's life. And so I want to encourage us to bear that in mind as we are listening to teaching, as we are interpreting, as we are studying the Bible for ourselves, to keep in mind what Jesus revealed of God and who he is and understand what we're reading of the rest of the Bible through that lens. Not that we want to make a canon within a canon, not that we want to elevate some portion of scripture as more inspired than the rest. No, that's not what we're doing. We're just wanting to read scripture with Jesus in mind because it helps us to interpret um, some of the more challenging, some of the other parts of scripture. And I want to encourage us that in studying the word, in remembering what we have been taught, in going deeper in, in, in um, Bible study and checking our foundations and in um, growing in the word, all of us in essence are actually studying God because the word of God is God's self-revelation. It's his revelation of himself that he's given to us. And so as we're studying the word, in essence, all of us are studying God. And so in this way of thinking, all of us as Christians are engaging in theology every day as we study the word of God. And theology is the quest of those who know God to know God. 
And the goal of theology is to discern the will of God in our generation and context so that we might live and act in ways that are faithful to his nature and purposes. So this fundamental purpose is common to all theological inquiry. This fundamental purpose is, is, is common to all Bible study. And we need to remember that, that all of us, in essence, are engaging in theology, need to be engaging in theology, which is the study of God, which is the study of God through his word. And we need to make sure we're grounded in it so that we might live and act in ways that are faithful to his nature and purposes, so that we might not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, so that we might be grounded and keep on doing those foundational and fundamental things which are critical in our walk with our Lord. And so we should continue in what we have learned. We should continue to grow in the word. We should use sound uh, interpretive principles in order that we might know him more, that we might live and act in obedience to him and to his purposes and his nature. And when we do this, we are less prone to deception. So that is the first point that I just wanted to briefly touch on. Obviously, there are a multitude of other principles, but I think that's such a, an important principle that we can apply. It's a basic principle. So the second thing that Paul wanted um, to address Timothy on is number two. Timothy should remember who taught it to him, who taught him those particular things. Um, 2 Timothy 3 verse 14 to 15a he says but you Timothy must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures I love that continue in what you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them remember who taught them to you Timothy remember that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures and we see in 2 Timothy 1 verse 3 to 5 who actually taught it to him. It says, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. And it says in Acts 16 verse 1, Then he came to Dob and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And so we see that Timothy's father was Greek. His mother and his grandmother were both Jewish Christian. They were Jewish, but they'd converted to Christianity. And so it was his grandmother and his mother that taught him the scriptures even from a young age. The, uh, the Jews were... Um, Jewish scripture education began by the age of five or six, um, and this education always emphasized the memorization and recitation um, of scriptures more than reading schools, and this would have likely been Timothy's experience. He would have been taught by his mother, taught by his grandmother concerning the holy scriptures, and this is because the Jews were instructed in Deuteronomy 6 verse 1 to 2, they were instructed to teach their children the scriptures. It says, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and all his commandments, which I commanded you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, that, you, that the days 
that your days may be prolonged. So the Jews were commanded to teach their children and their grandchildren the commandments of the Lord. And so we see this in Timothy. We see the fruit of multi-generational discipleship within the family. Um, your children's discipleship is your responsibility, parents. It is not primarily the school's responsibility, although you delegate authority to them to teach your children. It's not primarily the church's responsibility, although you delegate authority to the church to teach your children on, on Sundays and when, whenever else they, they meet. It is primarily the responsibility of parents to teach their children. And this is a very powerful a tool when it is carried out um, to its fullness. Remember who Timothy was to remember who taught it to him. He was to remember that it was his grandmother and his mother who taught it to him. They loved him. They taught him what they knew would be beneficial for him. He's saying, remember who taught you. They loved you. They taught you because they knew what was good for you. They wanted what was good for you. And we too need to remember who's taught us certain things. Remember who's fed us those that foundational doctrine because I'm pretty sure that the people who came and shared the gospel with you. They weren't doing it to try and get something from you. They wanted the best for you. I'm pretty sure that the people who shared foundational doctrine with you, the people who discipled you from a from being a young Christian, they wanted the best for you. Remember that. They didn't teach you something that was, uh, they didn't give you a scorpion or a snake. They gave you something beneficial. Remember that. And parents, we need to remember the influence that we have on our children and utilize it, maximize on it. You know, we see in Eli's sons an example of those who do not remember who is teaching them and what they have been taught and the extreme consequences that can follow when this happens. And this is a very uh, alarming scripture for me. 1 Samuel 2 verse 22 to 24, it says, now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the woman who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. And we see that later on, and it says that his sons, he, the Lord speaks to Eli and says, because you haven't restrained your sons, Therefore, judgment came to the house of Eli and his sons and his descendants. His sons were, um, they were struck dead and um, his whole lineage came to an end. Um, and so we see there the judgment of God because his sons didn't listen to Eli. They didn't listen to him. They didn't remember what he taught them, what he said to them, they didn't listen. And so listening and, and hearing and obeying and restraining our children, parents, is so important, okay? In order that we enter into what God has for us. And we see a picture of this in 1 Samuel 8, verse 1 to 5. It says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They didn't remember what their father had said to them. They didn't remember what they'd been taught from a young age. Hopefully he taught his sons. 
but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes. They perverted justice. And then all the elders of Israel gathered and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like the nations. So we see here that they asked for a king and they got King Saul. But they asked for a king because Samuel's sons didn't remember what his, their father had showed them, had taught them. Hopefully he had. They didn't walk in the ways of their father. And so we see here the importance again of teaching our children of multi-generational discipleship. So critical. The importance of children, the importance of even spiritual children remembering what they've been taught and who has taught them. You know, when we've been taught the scriptures by someone more mature in Christ who genuinely wants to see us excel and do well and mature in the Lord, we shouldn't be too hasty to jump onto some bandwagon of the latest and greatest trash revelation that flies in the face of basic doctrine that we've been taught. We need to really consider this as Christians. When people are walking with us in the trenches, when people are uh, taking care of how we are building our lives. And at the first whiff of an interesting revelation that pulls us, we're ready to jump off and, and turn away from the doctrine and even from the people that have walked with us um, and from the doctrine that is secure and foundational. We really need to beware and be careful. We need to remember what Paul is instructing Timothy. Remember who taught you. Remember what you know. Remember those who genuinely want the best for you. Think before acting. Amen. The third, number three, the third thing Paul wanted Timothy to remember. Paul instructed Timothy he should understand what the word can do. This is really important understand what the word can do and he mentions just a small fraction of what the word can do in this portion of scripture and that's what I'm going to focus on uh, chapter 3 verse 15b of 2 Timothy he says and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus makes it makes the scriptures Make us wise unto salvation. Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew and also for the Greek. James 1 verse 21, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What is powerful. We need to receive the word. It is able to make us wise unto salvation. It is able to save our souls. We need the word of God. Amen. So salvation is always through faith in Christ Jesus. It is never through works. It is never through rituals, through water baptism, through communion. It is never through appeasing ancestors. It is never through any other mediator or means. It is through faith. In Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of, our, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, 
lest anyone should boast. It is important that we grasp this. So when someone comes to us and says, and I've experienced this, we've experienced this personally, we've been in a meeting where someone stood up and said boldly, in order to hold the curse of your ancestors, the iniquities of your ancestors at bay, you need to come and give a sacrificial offering to the man of God in order to hold that at bay. When we hear strange doctrines like this, something in us should rise up and say, no, no, the sacrifice of Christ was enough. There is nothing else that I need to do that to hold those things at bay. The blood of Jesus was enough. It is it is um, by grace I have been saved through faith that that all, that Jesus and and his death on the cross and his resurrection was the final sacrifice. There's when we hear interesting and strange doctrines being preached, we should be able to say no. That is not New Testament Christianity. That is not foundational. That it goes against foundational doctrine, and this is the reason why we need to be grounded in the Word. Um, Romans 3 verse 24 to 31 it says being justified freely by his grace through the through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Hallelujah. B, it produces faith. It produces faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We see this in Romans 10, 17. That is what the word does. It produces faith. We need to get into the word every day so that we can have our faith stirred up. We can feed our faith. We can have more faith. We can have our faith growing and and becoming stronger and be able to exercise our faith as we trust in those words that we're reading. And see, it makes Jesus Christ known. John 5 verse 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Jesus is saying you search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find eternal life. He's speaking to the Pharisees. And these are they which testify of me. So the scriptures testify of Christ. So if we're wanting to know Jesus Christ, we have to find him in the scriptures because they are what teach us of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to 8 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the Twelve, after that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains to, to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that He was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all He was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So we see here that this testifies of Jesus. This is the gospel that he is sharing. So we need to be in the word. D, it builds up. Acts 20 verse 32 says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So the word builds us up. And E, it gives us an inheritance the same scripture. So the word builds up. It gives us an inheritance. It's important to remain in the word. And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Number four, Timothy should remember the source of scripture, the source of scripture. And this is really important. So we're looking at chapter three, verse 16, the first portion of verse 16 from 2 Timothy. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. We must come to a point where we make a choice. It is either given by inspiration of God and all of it as it declares it is, or it isn't. But there's no sort of, I'm taking this, I'm not taking that, I don't like that, I don't like the God of justice, I don't like the holy God, I don't like the God who says that, but I like this, so I'm going to take this portion of scripture. We can't do that because we make ourselves God then. And I know I'm not God. I know I'm fallible, okay? I know I'm frail. My flesh is frail. I know I'm not God. It's either given to us as an absolute in its entirety, like it says it is, or it's not. So there's no picking and choosing of what we're going to obey of his word. No, I don't like that part about not fornicating because you know what? All my friends fornicate. All my friends are sleeping with their boyfriends. And you know what? I'm just going to choose to do that. He'll forgive me anyway. Well, you know what, honey? You know what, sir? You're picking and choosing what you want and there will be consequences. There will be consequences for that type of behavior. No, I don't like that. I don't, we can't pick and choose. It's either the whole council or it's nothing, okay? It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we have some theologians, some people who will believe that some scripture is given by inspiration. And then we have all sorts of interesting ideas coming out that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin and all sorts of strange things which bring problems to the fundamental principles of our Christian faith bring problems in terms of the foundations. The enemy is like it wants to pull out all the foundations of our Christian faith. No, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is the whole counsel of God that we take. Um, we can't pick and choose what we want and make ourselves God. Okay. Now, some people have trouble accepting that the Bible is God's inerrant word. And I want to encourage you, you can go to the notes. I've included an appendix um, at the end. Really interesting, a number of points which help us, which point to the fact that the Bible is in fact God's inerrant word. So you can go and have a look at that. I'm also going to read uh, an excerpt from a particular theology book. 
uh, by a guy called Domerus. It's the A to Z of theology. And it's a section called Recognizing the Divine and Human Aspects of God's Revelation. Um, and yeah, when Paul wrote this particular epistle, this, and he, this is him speaking, Domerus. He says, when Paul wrote this epistle to Timothy um, 3, the books of the Old Testament were the scriptures used by the early church. At that time, the New Testament did not exist as an authoritative and finalized collection of sacred writings. In fact, some of the New Testament books were probably not yet penned. Even though this is the case, what the apostles said about the origin and accuracy of the Old Testament would equally apply to the New Testament. This means that both Old and New Testaments are the inspired and infallible Word of God. In verse 16, Demeris says, Paul declared that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The apostle used a Greek adjective that literally means God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. So expressed differently, the Lord is the origin and ultimate author of the Bible. And he says this does not mean that the sacred text appeared instantaneously or that they miraculously dropped down from heaven. This verse doesn't mean that the minds of the human authors were a blank slate upon which God wrote. The Lord supernaturally directed biblical writers and he did not override their intelligence, their individuality, their literary style, their personal feelings or any other human factor. But the writing still originated from God. And God's own complete and coherent message to humankind was recorded with perfect accuracy. Inspiration extends equally and absolutely to all portions of Scripture. All the books of the Bible are error-free in what they teach. This involves every aspect of them and is not restricted to moral and religious truths. But it even extends to statements of facts in the Bible. This includes information of a scientific, historic or geographical nature. The doctrine of inspiration not only encompasses details of vital importance to the Christian belief, but also anything that the sacred writers affirmed to be true. And... Um, a few points from the appendix, which I've included in the notes. You can go and have a look. Um, it's taken from a particular commentary, uh, Dake commentary, and you'll, there are about 20 proofs that the Bible is inspired. I have just given you three in the main portion of my notes. And the one that really uh, blows my mind is that over 40 authors wrote 66 books in different lands and over a period of 1,800 years. And many never saw the writing of the others, and yet there is no contradiction between any two of the books. I mean, if you collect any group of books by any other 40 men on any subject, you know, you'll be hard-pressed to make sure that they agree on absolute everything. But here, over 40 authors wrote, 60, uh, wrote 66 books, different lands over 1,800 years, and they agree. And when people tell you that the Bible contradicts itself, that's not true. That's not true. It just means that the people themselves are not studying, are not studying who wrote it, for whom it was written, um, and what the intention was, and what it actually meant, what it means for us today. So... Whenever you think that there's a contradiction in the Bible, just take it as an X that marks the point where you really need to dig deeper because you're not fully understanding what 
the Bible is actually saying. And the second thing I wanted to just mention in terms of proof of the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible is fulfilled prophecies. They, they say that about 3,300 verses of prophecy in the Bible have been fulfilled. Predictions made hundreds and even thousands of years before their fulfillment have been fulfilled. Not one detail has failed yet, so they say. And um, there are nearly 3,000 verses which are yet to be fulfilled still or are being fulfilled. So, yeah, that's interesting. And the third point, which I find fascinating, is the Bible's perfection. It's scientifically and historically correct. No one has ever found the Bible at fault in any of its many hundreds of statements on history, astronomy, botany, geology, or any other branch of learning. And in actual fact, I encourage you to go and have a look at the case for Christ, um, where a journalist set out to disprove Christ's death and resurrection um, and became a, became a born-again believer after all the evidence that he found and what it pointed to. So, yeah, I encourage you, if you have questions, don't shy away from questions, but don't remain with questions. Dig deeper and explore your questions and allow God. God is not afraid of questions. God love, loves questions. He loves it when we seek Him. So bring your questions to, questions to God and seek after them and search them out and find your answers. And at the end of the day, I'm sure it's going to draw you closer to God. Number five, in terms of what Timothy, uh, what Paul was instructing Timothy, he wanted Timothy to remember the purpose of Scripture. Now, there are many purposes of Scripture, and this is one of them, and it's the one that Paul wanted Timothy to remember and be cognizant of, and it's an important one. And so we're going to look at it here. He says, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is why we need to be in the Word. This is why we need to feed ourselves daily. This is why we need to uh, dig and dig into the Word and study the Word for ourselves. Okay, so profitable. Um, or the scripture, all the word of God and all scripture is profitable for doctrine, profitable. What does that mean? The Greek word means it's helpful, it's serviceable, it's advantageous. Um, what does doctrine mean? Doctrine just means teaching. It means instruction, precepts. So the word of God, scripture is helpful, it's advantageous, it's serviceable in, in terms of teaching, instruction and understanding God's precepts. It's also um, advantageous and helpful with regards to reproof, that word reproof, what does it mean? It means uh, a proof, that by which a thing is proved or tested, conviction. So it's a kind of, it's, a, it's, it's an instruction, um, a type of rebuke even, reproof. It's something that brings conviction, okay? Uh, Proverbs 6 verse 23 says, For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So they give us the way of life. And Proverbs 15 verse 31, I, I, I like the scripture. It says, the ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. So those are types of reproof that we can get from life. 
where situations happen to us in life, let's learn from them. Um, when things happen that are negative, that challenge us, let's learn from them. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. But also let's hear the rebukes from the word. Let's hear reproof from the word. Amen. It's also the word, all scripture is profitable for correction. The word, the Greek word that's used there for, that's translated as correction is, it actually means a restoration to an upright or a right state, improvement of life or character, straightening up, a rectification, a reformation. So that's what it means. Realignment, restoration to upright, a restoration to a right state. So we all need this type of correction. Okay, and that is what scripture is profitable for. Proverbs 15 verse 10 says, Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. Okay, so correction, rebukes, reproofs, the word of God, when it comes and when it convicts us, when we change our lives, like James speaks of, we look into the word of God as into a mirror, we turn away and we change, we remember what we looked like and we change, we repent, we become rightly aligned, that is the way of life, when we refuse to bring our lives under scripture and under what the word says it says that he who hates correction will die there'll be some form of death there'll be a consequence in our life our lives because God has given us his scripture for our benefits okay scripture is profitable for instruction the word the Greek word here for instruction is education or training um, by implication it speaks of disciplinary disciplinary correction chastening chastisement nurture Okay, so we all need this. None of us are beyond correction. None of us are beyond instruction. All the days of our lives on earth, we need the word of God to instruct us, to train us, to educate us, to bring chastening, chastisement, to bring instruction, to cause us to be realigned and rightly aligned with God's will. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. I love Psalm 119, by the way. It's such a long chapter in the Bible. I think it's the longest chapter, um, but it's about the Word, the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your Word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I love what Damaris says about this. So taking a continuing reading from that particular excerpt that I was reading earlier. He says, as Paul talked about the origin and authority of Scripture, he stated that the study and application of it was eternally beneficial. For example, it was immeasurably useful for teaching sound doctrine and for showing people where they had strayed from the truth. The Bible was also useful for correcting sinful behavior and for training people how to live in an upright manner. We learn from verse 16 that God's word is supremely authoritative. This means it possesses the absolute right to define what we should believe and how we should behave. So if someone, if your pastor, if your cell leader, if someone comes to you and challenges you with the word of God and your lifestyle and you take offense, remember that it's the, if the word of God is challenging us concerning how we should behave, it is actually absolutely and supremely authoritative. So you can take offense, but you will be foolish to do so. You, will take, take, you can take offense and refuse to submit to the word, but we're being foolish when we do those types of things. When scripture is consistently heeded, 
God's servants will be thoroughly prepared and equipped to do every kind of good work for his glory. So if you or I want to pursue God's will, want to fulfill God's will for our lives, which I'm sure you do, which I absolutely do, I need to submit to the word of God. I need to take in the word of God knowing that it thoroughly prepares me and equips me to do every kind of good work which God has prepared for me to do. I love what Psalm 19 verse 7 to 11 says. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, much more than fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Beautiful, powerful concerning the word of God. So in conclusion, Paul desired to strengthen Timothy, to continue in his ministry, to continue in sound teaching, even in the face of opposition and persecution and challenges. And as we've discussed, he pointed Timothy to two separate sources of strength and wisdom to do this. In my previous message, that's last words two, um, we looked at the first source of strength and wisdom that Paul was pointing Timothy towards. Today, we looked at the second source of strength and wisdom that Paul pointed Timothy to, and that is the scriptures. That is the scriptures. And even as Paul uh, instructed Timothy regarding this, we too can take these instructions and apply them in our lives. So Paul instructed Timothy, today we've looked at it, that he should continue in what he had learned concerning the scripture, so continue in sound doctrine. He should remember who taught it to him. He should understand what the word can do. He should remember the source of scripture and he should know the purpose of scripture. And so I'm wanting to leave you with those thoughts um, especially as we go into a holiday season, I want to encourage you, whether you're attending church face-to-face, -face, whether you're uh, finding some services online, whether you are at home um, during this particular hol holiday season, whatever you're doing, I want to encourage you to dig into the Word, to study the Word for yourselves, to go deeper in the Word, and to ask God, to ask the Holy Spirit to take you deeper and to show you what you can study and to help you so that you can be fully equipped and you can grow and mature in the Word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message, for this series. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord God, for everything that we've received from your word. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to go deeper, to go deeper in your word. We pray that you would help us to go through our foundations with a fine tooth comb and check our foundations, Lord God. We ask that you would help us to never despise foundational doctrine, but at the same time, Lord God, to move on from, from milk, to move on to solid meat, Lord. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to be those who are solid, those who you can rely on, those who are rooted and grounded in your word. Father, we pray that you would help us as we listen to other speakers, as we take in various forms of social media, as we take, as we watch movies, as we sing praise and worship songs. We pray you would help us to be discerning and wise, Lord God, concerning the doctrine that underpins all of these things and to understand what we believe and why and what we don't believe and why, Father. 
And we ask that you would use us as your vessels to convey the message of your son to those around us, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.